This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. If you love listening to podcasts, why not take part in our current survey and share your thoughts? It only takes five minutes and you could win one of seven £100 Voucher Express gift cards. To access the survey, just click on the link in the episode description. Please note the prize draw is open to UK residents only. Full T's and C's are available in the survey link and it will be available until 11.59pm on Sunday the 16th of May 2021. This is Disasters and Triumphs, a new podcast brought to you by Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, Deputy Editor and host of the podcast, and in this series I'm inviting some of our favourite people from the food world to share pivotal moments in their careers. I'll be asking about first steps, inspiring people they met on the way, and what it felt like when success arrived. We also explore the flip side of that and talk about tougher times that knocked them off course, how they got back on track, and what they learnt as a result because sometimes failure can be just as inspiring as success. This episode, we welcome Zoe Ajonia, chef, author, and culinary consultant to the podcast. After cooking up her famous peanut stew to sell at Hackney Wicked Festival back in 2010, she started a monthly supper club at home to help fund her way through creative writing MA at Goldsmiths. Street food, catering, and pop-up restaurants as Zoe's Ghana Kitchen followed in London, Berlin, and New York. And in 2017, she published her first cookbook of the same name. In 2020, Zoe co-founded Black Book, a global representation platform for black and non-white people working within the hospitality and food media. This year, her cookbook, Zoe's Gone a Kitchen, has just been reprinted, and her new podcast series, Cooking Up Consciousness, is launching very soon. Welcome, Zoe. Hello, Janine. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Um, it's also the second time you've been on the podcast. You first came on in 2017 to talk about your book, um, and I listened to it again yesterday. God, going back to 2017, those heady days when we actually sat in a room together. Um, and it's a great listen, loads more detail on the book, Ghanaian cooking, and some great stories of you visiting your family back in Ghana. So if anyone wants to go and find it, uh, check it out. It's episode 51. Um, normally kick off by asking what the pivotal moment was 
when you knew you wanted to work in food. And interestingly enough, when I got in touch with you to ask you about doing the podcast, you said, um, I didn't choose food, it chose me. So can you expand on that a bit? Yeah, well, the truth is I was fighting this as hard as I could for a number of years, actually. Um, I mean, the story of Hackney Wicked, how this all started is well told, but I'll try and keep it brief. Um, I, I basically got back from traveling around the States in 2010. I, um, I was freelance, whatever I was then. I think I was doing, um, I was a freelance copywriter and I was also freelance um, video producer for an air sports company. I've had so many weird jobs. Anyway, I had a lovely time and I came back broke because it was such a great time. And, you know, Hackney Wicked was going on here doesn't exist anymore but it used to be this big open arts festival and Hackney Wick at the time was um you know a super vibrant creative place that nobody came to <laughs> it was an industrial estate full of you know artists and writers and stuff and it was the weekend so the whole point of Hackney Wicked is it's an open arts festival weekend so my studio where I'm sitting now my flat my home was being used as a video gallery, basically. And at that point, there was no furniture. There was no nothing. It was a literal white cube. Um, and, you know, all these people were descending on Hackney Wick, but there were no bars or cafes or anything. So I thought, oh, here's an opportunity to make some money. So that's what I did. I tried to make some money with um, a pot of peanut butter stew, which is what launched the business. But at the time, you know, I had zero interest in even though there was a lot of people wanting me, even off the back of that first event, which was a runaway sellout success, much to my surprise, people were, were wanting for that event to happen again, but it was another year before I did it again. And then even then I was still hesitant and I was starting my MA at Goldsmiths and I basically used the supper clubs at my house to finance my way, to support myself through the masters. And even then at the end of the masters at Goldsmiths, I was trying to escape to Berlin but I thought, oh, I'm in Berlin. I might as well cook to make some money. So I took a residency in Neukölln at the Werkstatt der Kultur in um, Hermannplatz or thereabouts. And then, you know, lots of German press had descended on my kitchen in Berlin. And suddenly, you know, it was just went crazy really quickly. And so it was the universe that made, you know, just wouldn't let it go, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> so it was more that the universe brought it to me rather than in terms of a business but obviously I've, I've always cooked and I've definitely was since I was knee high to a grasshopper always been interested in and cooking um whatever Ghanaian ingredients I could get my hands on. So it was a gradual the universe knocking on your door saying hi yeah I mean, again. it became a bit of a standing <laughs> joke because you know I kept saying I'm moving to Berlin but I'd be back every two weeks to cater an event or do a supper club or be at a festival or something and I think it was around 2013 I finally decided to come back from Berlin. You know, and I, I mean, it was a gift at the time. I couldn't, I had the best years of my life. I was reading and writing and cooking. That's all I was doing. And it was, it was bliss. <laughs> it was my, literally my dream life. Um, but just because, you know, it had grown, Ghana Kitchen had started to get a name for itself. It had, was being blogged about. It was in the press um, quite a lot. And. I just had to think, okay, what is going on here? Like, this is obviously a business. Why does it need to exist? Like, what's the problem that it's trying to solve or the universe wants it to solve? And, the, you know, the edit, edit at the time was bring African food to the masses. And, of course, I had to translate it all in really easy, consumable language. 
But the real mission was always about opening people's hearts and minds to a conversation about culture and race and identity and the politics of food because, you know, my whole existence really is is brimming with politics <laughs> and, um, you know, injustice and social justice have always been causes dear to my heart and food became this vehicle to to, to, to introduce people to those conversations. Was there anyone, you know, in your career, say from when you, you said 2013, when you started properly doing it as a business to now, who was a particularly inspiring or a mentor to you or someone that you kind of felt like really helped you on your way? Now, when I think about who were um, important in inspiring people in, in my journey, um, specifically in food, you know, I was looking mostly to the States, I suppose, because as I said, nobody was really doing contemporary West African food in London or the UK at the time. I think the only people I can reference who, who were an, of a similar nature to me back then were um, Eat Joloff, which were a catering company, um, a very good catering company. But they weren't in the same kind of space as I was, and they weren't quite doing it in the way that I wanted to. But in terms of um, <clears throat> who can I think? Of? Oh, so sorry, the states. So you know, people like Brian Terry, like Afro. That book, Afro Vegan, was hugely inspiring. Um, uh, Jessica Harris, High on the Hog, and all of her work around food and explaining the relationship between Africa. Um, and African ingredients and black food in America. There's there's two standout people there. I mean, I guess at the time I probably thought of um, Marcus Samuelson as a bit of a potential inspiration. Ironically, some people might be surprised to hear Jamie Oliver. When I decided that this was a business, I wrote my business plan on the fag packet, you know, after a supper club with a cigar hanging out my mouth. That's who I was then. Um, and me and my friend Yasser Khan, um, who also designed the look and feel of the brand back then, um, we were writing like, well, what could it be? And I said, well, everything that Jamie Oliver's got, why couldn't I do that for African cuisine? So there was nobody directly in my, my field of vision who was feeding me anything, but I was certainly getting inspired by what other people had done with food. And when it came to writing my book, I mean, Sabrina Gale's... Um, Persiana was a very strong reference point for me as well in terms of the look and feel of it and the tone for the book. So, yeah, there's been def definitely various people who I've picked influences from along the way, but no direct mentor, so to speak. And the few people that I did reach out to, um, whose names I won't share here, because that might be embarrassing for them, um, you know, didn't ever respond or reply or had the time. And, you know, I, I understand we're all as an entrepreneur, you know, I understand how busy we can get. So, um, so yeah, I, but basically I was running under my own steam thereabouts pretty much, but that was a good place to be because I was out of that space of comparison, which obviously is the fear of all joy. Yeah. The, not the fear, the death, the death knell of joy, isn't it? Comparison. So in that space, I might have not had a direct mentors, but I certainly had guides and reference points points in terms of what the, the brand could be. I was going to say because of your because of your you know good and bad experiences in reaching out to people and getting some help and then in other cases not getting any help is it has it become more important for you to be a person that 
someone up and coming Absolutely, can come to yeah. and ask and be kind of be that mentor, be that inspiration. Exactly. I mean, that was quite a lot of the inspiration for Black Book, which also is born out of my experiences in America, where there is just such a wider um, Black and POC convergence in food um, and just more resources and better support networks, but also spaces that celebrate the Black voices uh, in food and also platforms the questions and and when I I should mention some platforms rather than just saying what they do so spaces like black food folks um radical exchange resistance serve um <clears throat> gosh she chef um just call me chef um there's so many but then also the queer spaces like um queer soup night and things like that there, there, there was just so many more um, spaces aggregated for people to who were other than white to be represented and network and have a voice and I wanted to bring some of that to the UK because it was sorely sorely missing but um, I wasn't able to do that until ironically the pandemic killed my catering business um, and freed up my time. <laughs> I was going to ask you about and, and this is probably going to be a hard one about success and the concept of success and what what it means for you because obviously you've got so many different levels going on what what is what what is success for you it's it's been a journey honestly because when I started in this food game success for me was being able to write read and make money cooking food I was having a very successful few years um then the cookbook came out and suddenly success looked a little bit different for me because I was in a different, a really different environment. Um, I was kind of in the industry now. And that meant that well, it didn't mean anything, but where I was at the time, I, I kind of fell into this trap of comparison um, and feeling like I needed to compete in that space with other, do you know what I mean? And, and there's no one else to blame for that. It's just the environment of and also where I was in my head at the time, I suppose. But, you know, and I opened Brixton and I put myself under a lot of stress and pressure, saying yes to everything that was coming my way because I felt like that's what I needed to do to be successful, right? <laughs> um, and then I had a massive burnout in 2019. And following that, I had to well I, I had space and time to reflect on success and where I was in my career and what I wanted to do and you know was I was I fulfilling the purpose um was Ghana Kitchen fulfilling the purpose that it was set out to do and I realized that it wasn't actually you know and I'd gone off in all these myriad directions um chasing success so success now for me is very much and I'm not saying that I've nailed it on the head but I try to view success in the moment um, that I'm in, you know, very literally. <laughs> um, so success changes almost every day, you know. So I, I try to keep, I, I don't try to have grand ideas anymore about what success is and looks like. Success for me is as if I'm happy, um, if I'm feeding myself, if I can pay my rent, if I can pay my bills, if I'm able to, if my work in some way um, inspires somebody or help somebody 
or guide somebody and I do a lot of actually I do a lot of coaching and like free mentoring and stuff like that on the side um and I love doing that because you know as I've already said there wasn't anybody there to help me when I was asking people for that support so when people ask me I really do try to make the time to respond and give them as much of, of me as I can um without having to charge them so you know it's um and I love that so that's success for me now is like having um building a legacy where I guess you know my my ultimate success in five years time would be having a nice farm to table concept um that's West African under the Sankofa Monica and you know chilling chilling out um reading and writing again you know and then cooking on the side stick around for more inspirational chat stories and advice from zoe and on the flip side of success um this podcast is called disasters and triumphs um would you be able to share an obstacle or a disaster something that a difficult time you faced when i reviewed the last 10, 12 years of being in the food industry. And then when I review even before that, the last 30 years of being in the working world, um, you know, whatever was a failure or didn't go very well, ultimately was a, 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 was a transformative moment, you know, because I, I mean, I bang on about this a lot actually, but you know, it's, it's when you're down in the weeds, um, is where the growth happens, you know, it's getting through the pain points where you learn and without learning, you don't grow. So whatever they were, and there were millions of them, <laughs> you know, I'm here today because I survived them. Um, but yeah, I think it's the, I think the, the, the really big one was being in hospital in 2019 for 10 days in intensive care and not even seeing it coming, you know, and just realizing that you know, I had been really abusing my body um, and my health emotionally, mentally. I was really depressed actually in 2018 um, and 19. I had two difficult years there financially. And, um, you know, I was, I'm sure you know this, but I'm in recovery. And, you know, I was drinking a lot back then and relying on other things to, yeah, get me through whatever the stresses were but yeah being in hospital I think in 2019 that really just floored me and made me have to just um reevaluate everything that I was doing and how I was doing it and who I'd become because I, I didn't even recognize myself anymore really oh. what was the um, diet what was the what were you in hospital for what was the diagnosis yeah, well, they thought I had meningitis. It was basically, it was the back off. I just got back from the last festival of the season, yeah. um, which was, um, it was a really good one, actually. It was the one, it was our best one of the year that year. But what what was happening was I was short of staff and I was driving back and forth every day to wherever that festival was, which is somewhere in Ham Northamptonshire or somewhere, somewhere. It's like four hours outside of London. So, but I was working 
in between, right, on at the pitch. So I was basically awake for 20 hours every day um, and not eating properly and, you know, drinking beer for breakfast as you do at festivals sometimes. And then, you know, driving with no sleep and what anyway my basically they thought I had meningitis and I got rushed to hospital and da, 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 and a lot of tests later like lumbar punctures and x-rays and all manner of tests were done on me and they couldn't figure it out but ultimately it was just that my immune system had pretty much collapsed and just was like I can't do anything else you just have to just <laughs> lie down for 10 days basically um but as I say, it was a huge gift because that 10 days is like, wow, what is happening? Like, how did you get here? You know, and I had to think about lots of things. I had to think about who I was as a leader. Like, why hadn't I managed to create a, a team by that point who who could have helped take some of the burden? Why wasn't I vulnerable enough to ask for help? Why had I, you know, why was I so undercapitalized still 10 years later after I started that business, which I bootstrapped? Um, why wasn't I feeding myself? You know, why wasn't I exercising properly? I was really fit in one sense of the word, but, you know, I was really, because I, you know, and I still can carry 20 kilos of cal of gas over my shoulder, which most men can't. <laughs> I'm very strong. So, you know, but um, so as I say, that was, yeah, that, that hit me hard because it, it not just on my personal health but also just like it fanned out into all the other parts of my life that came under review um and you know and like not seeing my niece for me I've missed all of her growing up all that time and family time and friends they all just gave me perspective and made me want to do things differently in 2020. If you were going to go back and give any advice to Zoe Mark One in say I don't know 2010 11 what what advice would that be get some help <laughs> <laughs> don't do this on your own you mad bitch um yeah to 2020 10 11 zoe i would be i would say actually and here's the thing because i had lots of help in 2010 and 2011 actually it's not like i didn't have help like all my friends were working as waiters and waitresses and help you know they were all so supportive in those first couple of years I think what maybe I would say to myself then is um build a team strategically you know like you can't do it on your own and you need to build a team that you can trust um and who who know more than you that was the other problem you know I was always hiring people who weren't qualified enough for what I needed them to do because I never had the capital to hire somebody who knew more than me. So it was always kind of in the, on the back foot constantly and my time was always consumed with teaching rather than yeah. letting anybody flourish in what they were good at. And I just didn't have the infrastructure. So I think getting the right team from very, very early on. I mean, I, as I say, I relied a lot, probably too much on, on friends and what I needed to do was build build a team. So I think, yeah, I would say to that, you know, just trust people and be vulnerable and ask for help um, when you need it and build a good team around you of people who you respect and love and be kind. I asked you for a recipe um, that you make 
when you want to kind of soothe and comfort yourself. And you took us back to the beginning. So um, ground nuts stew or soup is, in my house growing up, it was called peanut butter stew and that was it. It was it was and is delicious. So it's basically, um, and it can be vegan, I will say that, but traditionally in our home growing up, it was always made with mutton, mm. mutton on the bone or lamb on the bone. So you get all that beautiful marrow and collagen and flavour going into it. And then it's like this, it's just an amazing balance of spice, savoury, sweet, it's piquant, the smell is incredible. It's so comforting to eat. It's like, every, on it, I mean, I've said this time and time again, but it there's so much comfort in eating it. It feels like you're literally being hugged every time. And I can't eat it fast enough. It, even now, when I made it, I mean, I just, I just filmed a thing my mom, with my mom, actually, for um, an online platform. And at the end, they were like, I'll taste it. And I couldn't stop eating it once I started tasting it. It's just... Um, a really, really incredible dish, obviously filled with nostalgia for me because it's so integral to my childhood memories of food and my um, early relationship with Ghanaian food. But it is just a treasure trove of delicious. It's just amazing, you know. Have you adapted it much since you, I mean, because obviously you said you used to make it growing up with your mum. Have, yeah. you, have you adapted the recipe from when you first started making it? Do you know what? I think I've probably things? got about 10 or 12 good versions of it now vegan and otherwise like there's there's versions where I like roast the bones before I make the stock or I make um you know with different kinds of vegetables with different kinds of peanut butter like or like cashew butter or almond butter or um but it's you know I mean me and my mum talked about this again because we were just filming it the other day the truth is is doesn't matter how fancy I try to make it. The principle is just the same, really. It's like one pot of, um, and that's why I love it as well, just because it's so accessible and such an easy recipe. But you just put everything still into a pot at the end of the day, you know? And just the longer you cook it, the more delicious it will be. The next day it will be better again. And the third day, if you've still got any left, it would be great then too. I love that though, and it is a, it's kind of a taste of home. And it's, it, it, as you said, it's really kind of, it's really accessible. And when we talked on the last podcast about your, about your book, there's, there's so much of it in there, which will take you on a little journey, but there's lots of great starting points that people can get involved with it. Um, the book's out now, isn't it? The reprint of it Zoe's yeah, Gone Zoe's a Kitchen. Zoe's Gone a Kitchen is available now to buy. And I think everyone should go and buy it because it's a beautiful book <laughs> Thank still. you so much. Yeah, I mean, um, I hope so, because I, that's what I did want from it, you know. I didn't want it to be, um, I wanted it, it kind of, it just, it's, I think people think it's a weird thing to say, but I almost wanted it to be a coffee table book. Like, it, of course, I wanted people to use it to cook from, but I just wanted it to be, it to be an inspiration mainly and like a, a reference, a, a tool, like a resource to access Ghana, you know, it's like, just make it as easy as possible for people who aren't familiar with it to to get some um, to dip their toes in, I suppose. And for then for people who were familiar with it to just understand a bit more detail about the ingredients um, and also how to cook it themselves. Because you know the other thing about this kind of indigenous cuisine is like it's handed down orally, like the recipes are sort of imbibed or 
in the same way that, you know, nobody taught me how to cook it. I had to stand next to my dad and watch and observe. It wasn't like um, <laughs> a taught lesson. Um, and I think that's a lot of experience because the matriarchs hold, hold you know, the, the recipes have been t- told, given orally or just by osmosis, you know. So I think a lot of, I mean, in fact, I know I got so many emails when the book came out the first time around from Ghanaians around the world saying thank you. Even for recipes like corned beef stew, which definitely only latchkey Ghanaian kids had for dinner. But um, people were really happy to see it there because it's like, yes, I, I grew up eating that same thing as well after school. Um, and that makes obviously brings me a lot of joy. Yeah. Is that is book number two on the cards or are you not allowed to tell us? Or? God, you'd think so, wouldn't you, by now? But um, Yeah, I would. <laughs> Um, I, I have, I've got, I have put a treatment out there for, um, a work, which is, um, it is a cookbook, but it's more of a collection of other people's recipes more than it is a collection of my own recipes. And, you know, it's, it's not really about me anymore, Janine. I'm trying to platform, um, other people and give other people a stage to stand on and just still, um, you know, I'm passionate always and will ever be about Africa, not just Ghana and West Africa, but all things Africa and get giving the, the chefs from that continent, whether they're in the diaspora or still in the continent themselves, um, a much needed spotlight because we're still we're still got a long way to go. I mean, I noticed a couple of uh, Dueva and Michael Legby and Selassie, I think those three chefs made it into the world's top 50 or top 100 chefs, whatever those lists are that circulate around, um, which is great to see. But there's many, 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 many more, you know, um, who just don't have the profile that they deserve, really. And I want to get, I want to help. Where's the best place for people to connect with you so they can find out what you're doing, what you're working on? I guess there's always gone a kitchen dot yeah. com is a good space on yeah, your Zoe's website dot com which is now an online um single origin spice store from west africa we're going to be introducing some grains and other bits and pieces very very soon um or at ghana kitchen on instagram or at zoe Ajonia on instagram if you can tolerate my sweary mouth i swear a lot <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, you've managed, podcast, you managed to hold my podcast coming out in uh, yeah. mid-May, Cooking Up so, Consciousness, which is also mid-May. a clubhouse. If anybody's on Clubhouse, please follow Cooking Up Consciousness. I'm going to go and investigate that. That'll be available on, on all popular podcast platforms. Thank you so much for coming to chat to us today. I'm aware that we've run over time as well. So I'm going to say goodbye and, um, and just thanks again, Zoe, and really good luck with everything that you've got coming up. Um, listen thank you so much for having me and um, yeah always a pleasure to work with Olive all things Olive so yeah thanks thanks very much for having me back you've been listening to Disasters and Triumphs an Olive magazine podcast series to find out more about the series including the recipes we talk about in each episode visit olivemagazine.com where you'll also find our huge back catalogue of over 200 podcast episodes Don't forget to subscribe at Acast, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode.